Hello and welcome to part two of the 007 Countdown from Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Last time, we reviewed 1963's From Russia With Love, and today on the podcast, it's the movie that was teased in the closing credits of that film, 1964's Goldfinger, once again starring Sean Connery as 007. But first, how are you guys? Doing well, Scott. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk Bond. And, you know, it's a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Going to go get some light after this. And, yeah, can't really complain. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good time to to be alive with daylight savings time starting next week and our long hours of of darkness receding a little bit, at least for me, which I, I, I do say, like, when quarantine started, it was, like, really easy to get outside when it was daylight. And then as things have gone over the course of the year, it's been like I've still like gone and for walks at like 6 p.m. when it's pitch black outside, but I've just been a little bit sadder every time I do it, I feel like. So very excited to also go outside and go for a walk and then be less stressed about getting outside before 5 p.m. starting next week. Yeah, unfortunately, where I live is not super conducive to, to getting out and, and taking walks. But uh, yeah, no, we've, we're almost at the one year anniversary now of, uh, of having been in this nightmare, of course whenever you guys hear this, it will probably be like, who knows, honestly, because yeah. we have when we, when we, when we wanted to come out right now, but it will also depend on when the broccoli family decides that decide that uh, no time to die is actually going to come out, which who knows may not even be in 2021. Um, Maybe, but uh, yeah, again, we've, I feel like we've said this before, but hopefully when this podcast does come does come out, we can look back on it, listen to it, and um, just laugh about, oh, wow, remember those times in quarantine? Wow, that really sucked. But good thing that that's in the past now. Uh, I'm, I'm do I, If you can't tell, I'm doing this to set myself up for in three months when this actually does come out. And we're, all, we're obviously still stuck in this quarantine. And it just sounds like it ages really badly, which is how a lot of our um, a, a lot of our predictions seem to go. Yeah, like if you go back and listen to the countdown series specifically, I think uh, we make a lot of predictions that don't really pan out. But um, yeah. Anyway, um, let's let's talk about something which is not going to change in the next three months, probably, which is our opinions on the film Goldfinger, um, which is the third film in the Bond series and the third to feature Sean Connery as the dapper secret agent. Directed by Guy Hamilton this time, Goldfinger finds Bond on vacation in Miami after busting a drug lab in Latin America. But there's little time for relaxation when Bond is called on by M to observe gold dealer Arik Goldfinger, played by Gert Frobe, who is also vacationing in Miami. Stop me if you've heard this before, but soon Bond meets a beautiful woman, Goldfinger's employee Jill Masterson, and is pulled into a web of deceit and murder that will take him from England to Switzerland to exotic Louisville, Kentucky, on the trail of Goldfinger, his right-hand man, Oddjob, played by Harold Cicada, and his right-hand woman, Pussy Galore, played by Honor Blackman. Jay, we'll start with you. We were all a little bit underwhelmed with From Russia With Love, but does Goldfinger provide more of the same middling thrills or is it an action-packed step forward in the franchise that earns its iconic status? I actually really enjoyed this movie. Um, you know, I, I was definitely a little bit nervous about this countdown uh, after last week's From Russia with Love, and I, I spent the whole week like just a little bit dreading the fact that I had to watch this movie. And you know, although you know, it, it's funny to think about the fact that this movie was released 
what about a year after the last one? And although it's you know it's very similar in a lot of respects, I thought it was a lot better. Um, I thought it was more exciting. I thought the you know the villains were better. I thought you know I I just had a, a much better time with it without teasing too much quite yet. But yeah, I I, I thought it was great. Scott, do you feel similarly? Yeah, I do feel similarly. And I guess just being like super relevant to last week's episode, I was thinking back to like pretty much all the criticisms that we had of from Russia with love, you know, and I'm not going to say all of them were addressed in Goldfinger, but it really felt like Goldfinger was like this really funny counter, like counterpoint to like a lot of the things we were talking about on last week's episode with, you know, the alphabet soup acronyms and confusing plot and, you know, unengaging villains or, 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 or uninteresting villains, however you want to phrase that. And, you know, it still has its bond tropes. Like it's not, look, it's not a completely, it's not a complete revitalization of, of the franchise, you know, the third movie in basically two years, but it it did feel like a big step up from, from Russia with love in terms of quality and maybe not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but fine tuning, you know, every part of the engine that maybe was developed in, in from Russia with love and, and Dr. No two for that matter. So overall, I think it, it was a lot better. I think that, you know, a bond is, is more or less the same bond, but all the parts around it, felt like it just worked a little bit better in this, you know, in this machine that, 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 you know, Albert Broccoli, I guess at the time had created. Yeah. You know, I, I still think that the plot of this movie is not like super easy to follow or anything, or um, really the, the standout element of the movie or, or anything sure. like that. Like, I don't think you, the plot wrap you can re, you really get wrapped up in the plot, but you know, again, we talked about this last time, that's not necessarily the most important thing in a spy movie. And yeah. for me, uh, you know, I think it's more important that you just, if you're not going to make a, a, that interesting or, or um, easy to follow plot, just throw a bunch of cool stuff at us. And I think Goldfinger does a much better job of that than From Russia With Love did. I mean, you know, we get this final sequence at Fort Knox, right? Which is, um, you know, kind of a Mission Impossible-y setup, right? Of we're gonna go to this, uh, you know, big famous landmark type thing. And, um, you know, there's gonna be some sort of heist or, um, you know, action that is going to ensue um, and, you know, set pieces and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, in general, I just feel like even though the movies, the two movies are about the same runtime, this movie is just so much more well paced than it feels like than from Russia with love. Like it, it did not feel like a slog at any point. There, I, there was only maybe like five or 10 minutes um, when I was like a little bored, uh, which I said, you know, we talked about last week and I said it specifically as kind of the problem that I have with some. Uh, with with a fair amount of bot movies is that I just feel like I get bored sometimes. And I didn't feel that very often in Goldfinger. Um, and that's pretty, yeah, because they keep it moving. It, you know, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of, you know, fun spy thrills and stuff like that. There's fun characters, right? I think the villains are a step up here. Um, I, I, you know, I think the Bond girls are, are still pretty weak probably. Um, but, um, you know, they, they, they're able to make some sort of an impression in, you know, their, their few minutes on screen. There are really three that we'll have a chance to talk about here. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely enjoyed this one a lot more than the first one. Um, you know, I, both films are fairly well regarded, but I think that um, Goldfinger is considered to be the best of the Connery films, probably by the majority of 
of people. Um, and, you know, after after this, it's it's easy to see why. And I'm glad that because, you know, we're going to be moving on from Connery after this week. Um, I'm glad that we were able to watch this movie that we kind of universally enjoyed and, and maybe understand exactly what it is about Connery as Bond, the Connery Bond films that were able to jumpstart this, um, you know, decade long franchise now. Um, because I don't think we necessarily got a taste of that after watching From Rush With Love. So um, I think this was a, a solid entry in the series for sure. And I won't be surprised if when all is said and done, if this is one of my favorites that we have watched. I, I did enjoy the revisit. But yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the elements of the Bond film, right? We talked about it last week, how these films have, a, you know, sometimes have a pretty mechanical formula um, with the way that they're structured, with the types of characters that you can expect to see um, in these movies. Um, and so let's start with James Bond himself, right? With Sean Connery once again as Bond. Um, I think we all felt like he was one of the strongest elements of From Rush With Love last time. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, does he continue the magic here? Does he bring anything sort of new to this role of Bond um, in Goldfinger? Uh, or is this just sort of more of the same uh, in a good way uh, or maybe in a bad way from from Connery in this uh, movie? Scott, I'll ask you first. Yeah, I do feel like he is more of the same in, in this film. I don't know if, you know, Bond evolves that much from, you know, the night you know the 1963 version and the 1964 version and part of that could be explained i think just by you know clearly this is something that that people gravitated towards in the first two films right like i mean we're not talking about dr no but i think that from russia with love like we said it was one of the best parts i'm sure the feedback was pretty good and probably the reason that you're going to watch this is not because it's an interesting spy movie it's because of james bond like very specifically james bond he's a cool character want to go find him. So the fact that I don't think that he's changed that much and Connery's performance has evolved that much in this film, I don't think that's a, a bad thing necessarily, especially when there's only, I mean, these films weren't shot at the like simultaneous or back to back, but they were shot in pretty quick succession. So not only small things I feel like would evolve in those situations. But again, I think more of the same here works. I think that the sort of the suave debonair, however you want to describe, like there's so many different ways you think you could describe Bond. Um, that sort of get the same point and that he's a cool guy and Connery continues to play him as a cool guy. And I just think that this with Goldfinger, he's just given like the, the meat of the performance is maybe a little bit better. Like he's just given more to do more interesting things to do more interesting ways to sort of navigate through the different situations that he's in. I think one of the cool elements that is probably a separate conversation that we could have had later on, but I think one of the things that makes bond even more interesting in this is that, there's even more gadgets and more technology sort of like thrown um, Bond's way and, and a lot more of things for Sean Connery to do in those situations. Of course, he's not, you know, he's not contriving those situations himself, but when he's put in those situations, he navigates through them with sort of the, the deafness that you'd expect, I think, from an experienced Bond actor. And so I think he's more or less um, the same as another as in the previous Bond film that we talked about last week with From Russia With Love, but he just has a little bit more. He's given even more to do, and he does it well. Jay, do you agree? For the most part, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it is really a lot more of the same. What's funny about it, I was thinking about this, and more so in, like, the back half of the movie, although, you know, there are, there are moments, like, of this, like, in the beginning, uh, like, when he gets uh, taken out by Oddjob the first time, um, 
before you know he finds Jill is he spends like a fair bit of this movie like I don't want to say like as a prisoner um that that's really more like the back half of it right but like he just spent a lot of this movie just like kind of in trouble um and that was like an interesting element to it like in just thinking about it I mean again you know he ends up on the plane like again against his will he ends up uh, in that prison and all he gets out kind of you know in a silly way like he does end up right back there again and then yeah i don't know he he spends a lot of this movie just like not you know killing it i guess to just find words to it um you know that being said again like the the different situations like kind of like scott said you know does give sean connery like more to do with it um and i i do think you know makes like again his his navigating the precarious situations i feel like was just different and better obviously you know we we talked about how a lot of you know bonds stay the same and i think you know the way like, he interacts with women for example like did not change at all um but you know the way again he was dealing with like these situations was you know the same even a little bit better and like you know definitely exciting i think you know connery brings it and is a you know a big part of why i enjoyed this movie yeah, I mean, I think I agree that it's it's mostly the same. I do think there's maybe like a slightly harder edge. Like it feels like there's a little bit of like anger in his performance at times. I think that like we're meant to believe, right, that this Jill Masterson thing that happens, right, the iconic death, iconic murder of her um, painted in, in gold paint, um, you know, one of the images that everybody knows from this movie, of course. Um, you know, right after she's slept with Bond, whatever. Uh, again, the, you have to do a lot of suspension of disbelief in terms of the interactions between like him and the Bond girls in these movies, like and how quickly sort of an attachment can develop, or you know, we're, we're supposed to believe that it can develop. Uh, but it seems like the the her death, you know, really uh, jades him a little bit, especially in his in his interactions with Goldfinger specifically, like there. It just feels like he's not wanting to to take any of Goldfinger's BS and a lot of BS and a lot of the scenes that they have together, um, which is a little bit you know different. I feel like with Robert Shaw's character in the last movie, he was maybe being a little more jokey and um, you know kind of smooth Bond. And I feel like here he's you know a lot of times in the interactions with Goldfinger, and there are quite a few scenes where uh, between him and Goldfinger, you know maybe other than the golf scene, which is a little like, you know, he's being a little playful there. Um, I think, uh, I think he, you know, he, he, there's a, there's a harder edge. Like I said, you know, he's, he's a little, he's driven more by like, he, he has a driving force, more of a driving force, I guess, to get this guy, which is that, well, he killed this woman that, you know, Bond maybe had some sort of feelings for, um, you know, of course, even though we only got to see them spend one night together. Um, so yeah, that'd be the only thing that I would point to as yeah, maybe this is something a little bit new that Connery brought to the role. But yeah, I mean, I don't think he necessarily needed to bring anything new to the role. Um, I think that uh, you know he he again he was one of the strongest parts of the last movie, and um, I think he he leaves a strong impression again here, even though the characters around him I think are a little bit stronger than in from Russia with love. I don't think that bond gets lost in the mix or anything like that. Um, even though like Jay, Jay, like you said, you know, he's, uh, a lot of times there's, there's some periods of inaction in this movie for bond specifically where he is, um, you know, in captivity of sorts, but you know, you have to come up with some creative ways to 
escape captivity, which is sometimes fun to watch as well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think he, he gives a great performance again. Um, let's move on to the, the next set of characters I want to talk about, which is the Bond girls. Um, I said that there were three. Only one of them, I feel like, is is really, truly, like, maybe leaves a mark. But um, it's probably worth mentioning all three. Of course, Jill Masterson, who I mentioned, um, is one of Goldfinger's employees um, who, uh, you know, is, is killed uh, using the gold paint. We have Tilly Masterson, who we meet later. That's Jill's sister, um, who is trying to kill Goldfinger and ultimately failing um, at various parts of the movie. Um, and then uh, Pussy Galore, who, of course, is one of the um, you know, more, more famous Bond girls, um, you know, because of her name, of course. I mean, all, all, a lot of the Bond girls that we're going to see have ridiculous names. But, yeah, this is certainly up there on the list. But also, I think, is kind of a kind of an interesting character with just sort of the whole pilot thing and you know, being, being Goldfinger's right-hand woman, right? This, this is an example of, well, you know, we're seeing a Bond girl who is more on the villainous side. Although ultimately, you know, anyone- Found the be, alarm. Scott yeah, said everyone, Bond girl was interesting. Every, I said some, I, I'm tempering <laughs> my language, but, but yeah, of course, no, no Bond girl is too villainous to be, um, you know, immune to, to James's charms, of course. Uh, but, um, yeah, what did you guys think of, you know, the, the three Bond girls here, you know, last time with From Russia With Love, we really only had the one, right? We had Tatiana, um, who was kind of, you know, consistent throughout the movie. The yeah, did you like that um, we got some variety here or, you know, does it mean there's even less time for character development when, you know, you're moving quickly from one to the other? And in the case of both Mastersons, right, they're getting bumped off. Um, Jay? I mean, based on what we saw last week, I wasn't expecting a whole lot of character development for any Bond girl in this movie. Um, you know, Jill, I, I, I think I had never seen her death um, this iconic death scene that everyone apparently knows um, before. <laughs> but we've established on the podcast many times before that Jay, you are very insulated to all. I mean, you've never seen the Star Wars movie until two yeah. years ago. So. Yep. I did actually know who Pussy Galore was though. That, that was a name okay. that had made it its way to me, but I'll get it's to hard that. To forget. I mean, yeah. But so, you know, Jill will obviously leave uh, a, a lasting impression, I guess, because of her, you know, graphic death. Um, I honestly, maybe you can like help me out here, but like, I don't really know what the point of Tilly Masterson was, uh, like, was there a point to her character? I'm not sure there was, but, um, well, I, I think part of it is that it gets him into trouble at Goldfinger's factory, right? Like it, when he's in I, Switzerland, I, she sort of like blows his operation up. Cause you know, he had gotten in, he'd spied and, and he was, and he was just getting out at that point, right? Like he was going to basically extract himself from the situation yeah, those, and then he ends up getting caught. Those foolish women just don't know how to go about uh, this assassination. Well, they're not I mean, level-headed that, enough. They, she got emotional about like, her sister's death. Well, yeah, of course. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like her role is basically just to like be emotional and screw things up like that, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> and then get the hat to the neck. Yeah, yeah. we get, we get, you know, they got to show off odd jobs, hat throwing prowess. Which yeah. I, I want to talk at length about later. Um, but at, at length, okay. <laughs> at, at some length, and then um, just to give my thoughts on the last bong. I mean, pussy galore. I had once we found out she was like a pilot, and like you know, Goldfinger's like right hand 
person and like also had trained all his other pilots i was actually like oh my god like potential you know like interesting character and then of course you know it just gets relegated to like no matter how much she clearly does not bond like the second he starts kissing her like game over for her and that just that was a letdown i'm not gonna lie um is she more interesting if she just stays a villain like like so i'm I'm not trying i'm I'm just playing devil's advocate what makes it more interesting i'll explain because basically like you know when he when he made it clear like he was going to try to like turn her like you know when he said you know i think there's more to you than this or like there's you know like basically like kind of insinuating that to us that like she didn't fully know what was going on namely like that he was going to kill all these people um maybe he had like lied to her the same way he had lied to the others about delta nine not being lethal or something but then like rather than it being any kind of like moral you know thing or any kind of like you know this is really what's going to happen yeah like it was just you know i'm just going to kiss you you clearly don't want it and then we're gonna like cut to the next scene and like you know well, like what I yeah. said to my partner who I watched the movie with was I, I I won't be surprised if in like three movies we get like an explicit like my magic penis turned this person you know like it's <laughs> it was just like what um and so I mean in, th- in that regard it was disappointing um but you know like again like what what was I to expect um well, I definitely I had the well, potential again like with the character set up and then it just it became what I should have known it would have been well, I have to go to the archives on this one, but I do think that that's the first time that the phrase "magic penis" has ever been said on on any sort of sub like it Scott podcast. So uh, I, I was ready to that, move Jim. on and not mention it, but yeah, I think that yeah. I think that does make the cut as the first time that's happened. Uh, Scott, your thoughts on that and on the Bond girls in general? Okay, like what I'll say about this, and I think you have to put an asterisk next to everything I'm about to say. But like, if you're gonna if you're gonna treat Bond girls the way that we're treating them in the first you know, two movies of the countdown here with making them nothing burgers of characters and just there as complete, I mean, sexual objects, basically. Oh, you can make an exception for exception for pussy glory, ironically, I suppose. Um, and I, I think that it's more interesting to kill them off than to have them stick around for the entire movie. I mean, like it, it does something right. It, it, you don't get bored like so bored of a specific character it does leave less time for character development for each one of them absolutely but if you're not going to develop their characters anyway i mean what are they sticking around for so i i don't think it, it i don't think that this take on all right goldfinger's take on the bond girl is the best you could the best that i would hope for and hopefully not the best that the series has to offer but what i will say is that if you're going to treat them like you did tatiana from from russia with love you might as well throw a, a few of them in there and and have the movie move along, right? Like you're not going to get bored of the specific Bond girl. So I will say that. I mean, but besides that, like, again, I, I'm not sure that these, unfortunately, for lots of different reasons, although maybe not surprising since it's the 1960s, although that's not an excuse. Like these women are just here to come into the picture and then just as quickly go out of the picture and move the plot along, which is probably not a good way to use uh, your women um, in your films. But with at least with Pussy Glory, I think like that, that like that is an interesting that I do agree that like with I forget which one of you said it before, like she is a more interesting Bond girl and that she is this person who I mean, we don't really know her full history with Goldfinger, but has been badass enough to like create her own like troop of pilots, right? Like Pussy Glory's Flying Circus. Like that's I mean, that's pretty cool, I think. And that's pretty interesting. They don't do anything with that. I'll I do want to, of course, acknowledge that and knock it for that. But that is interesting. And it is unfortunate that 
you know, where the two characters of her and Bond end up is, I mean, predictable, but I guess that's the Bond formula. And if so, if they didn't end up like that, people would riot. I don't know. And then, so people wouldn't go see another Bond film, maybe. I'm not sure. But yeah, obviously the ending there doesn't, it, it doesn't, I don't want to say it leaves a bad taste in my mouth, but it certainly doesn't satisfy me. Um, but I do think that the overall approach of introducing several different Bond girls here and having the plot just sort of speed along and move on past them works well enough for me. Yeah, no, with, with, with Pussy Galore, I think there's something there of like, yeah, yeah, you know, so, something that they do that is, is kind of, you know, okay is that um, it seems like she's set up and, and, you know, Bond makes some cracks early on about like, oh, so you're just, you know, his advisor or something like that, you know, like implying that she's like sleeping with him on the side, whatever. Well, it doesn't seem like that's what's going on, right? This, the scenes that we have, but that we see between Pussy Galore and, and Goldfinger, it just, it seems like there's a business relationship there. Uh, and that Goldfinger, of course, yes, would like there to be something more, but that she's not having it. So yeah. Also, let's is, be honest. If this film were to get remade today, I mean, this character is like 100% a lesbian <laughs> if the film gets remade. I was going to say, this would be the main character of the movie, probably. They would go full <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road, right? And, and be like, Bond is going to be the secondary character here. But, but so that, 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 I mean, I guess that is something sort of positive, right? That they don't just make her into like a, uh, you know, ladder climber who is just trying to sleep her way to the top. Yeah. Um, and she's not, you know, won over by Goldfinger in that way. Now, of course, she is won over by Bond. Uh, but that's just, again, you, you just have to get used to that with these movies. Um, it's Sean Connery, Scott. Can you blame is, her? This is 1964. It's way too early in the game to expect that they're going to be doing something really progressive with, um, you know, with the Bond girls here. We'll revisit this when we get to GoldenEye specifically, because they at least make some efforts in GoldenEye to try and... Um, put Bond in his place for his womanizing behavior. But um, whether that is successful or not will be something that I uh, will be interested to revisit when we get there in a few weeks. But um, yeah, for now, I, I think, uh, yeah, the Mastersons are just there, you know, Jill is just there for like fridging purposes. And then Tilly is that just there, yeah, to screw things up, like we said. Um, and then, you know, P Pussy Galore is there despite her somewhat interesting setup, she's there so that Bond has someone he can ride off into the sunset with at, in the, at the final shot of the movie, right? Like we're going to see time and time again, like we saw last week with, with Tatiana. Um, you know, in this case, they're parachuting into the sunset. Um, but yeah, um, villains. Uh, we get a couple of interesting villains here. Um Again, we're, you know, doubling down. I guess we did take Club Rosa Club last time, but that was, you know, that character didn't really work for reasons that we talked about. But Goldfinger and Oddjob, two, two again, of the more iconic villains in the James Bond universe. Um, Goldfinger being this sort of meg megalomaniacal, you know, billionaire type Trump, Trump-esque figure almost in some ways. Um, and uh, Oddjob being... Um, you know, his, his trusty henchman who doesn't really say anything, but carries around this razor bowler hat and throws it at people and um, is just kind of the, the heavy who is called in um, to do the violent work that Goldfinger can't necessarily be bothered to do. Um, what did the you OG guys... Peaky Blinder. Yeah. Uh, Scott, what did, you, what did you think about these two, uh, you know, colorful villains um, in this movie? 
Yeah, look, I think we talked at great length last week on the podcast about how we felt that Rosa Klebb and Red Grant just were not um, interesting villains or memorable villains in a way that the film kind of needed, right? Like if you, if you had this very dense plotting and confusing storylines, right? Like you needed to have something to latch onto to really keep you engaged and not sort of your eyes getting glazed over in some of those moments. And I feel like with Goldfinger and Oddjob, and I mean, those are the two main villains for this film, I suppose. Uh, it feels like they sort they really do help you out there. They are more much more in that direction of interesting villains. Goldfinger, although maybe still a bit sort of I mean, he doesn't have a mustache, but mustache twirly type villain of trying to just connive his way and and, to, you know, I don't know, just being the wealthiest man alive, I guess uh, he's just trying to take over the world via his gold supply and odd job sort of being the sort of like one dimensional henchman doesn't make him a super inter- interesting villain in a like plotting sense. But if you do have this, you know, you, you talked about, Scott, how you still felt like the plot was still confusing at times. I felt that it was a little bit more easier, a little bit more easy to follow. But regardless of that, putting that aside, like it, with this type of movie, having one dimensional villains that are interesting in a different way, I think that works. And I think with the performances that you get, like they're very committed performances, like Goldfinger is very Goldfinger, right? Like odd job is, you know, <laughs> maybe to a fault, like very odd job, right? Like it's kind of a it's kind of a weird a weird performance and a weird character, not necessarily in a bad way, but when you read about sort of the casting of the character being like being very intentional, very specific, like wanting this sort of like silver, like Olympic silver medalist bodybuilder to sort of just be this, like you said, the heavy who literally can't talk. Um, like you're going for a very specific vibe with that character and it delivers that vibe. And I think, again, it complements sort of this more like intricate espionage type storylines that, that we're getting in this film, even if this one, I do think this one is more accessible. It complements that well, I think, right? Like you're not looking for the most interesting or complicated villain of all time in these movies. You're looking for something that you can latch onto, engage with and have a good time with um, and want Bond to sort of like foil, right? Their plots. Um, so I think they work really well. They're really memorable performances. And if we do an if we do a ranking at the end of this with the best Bond villains, it wouldn't surprise me if both of these guys, you know, are in the conversation that we're having there. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Scott for the most part. I think I had it took me a minute to kind of get off the ground with Goldfinger, just because I thought the card playing scene at the beginning was ridiculous because it didn't make him look smart. It made the guy across from him look like an idiot for not realizing that the guy in front of him was wearing this giant earpiece. I know, um, yeah, that was kind of hilarious. Um, Especially it was in the '60s, right? It's not like some dude with like a airpod in his ear right? <laughs> listening um, to some rap <laughs> exactly and so you had that um and then i don't know i i actually i don't think i minded the golf scene i actually thought i had I, but i i enjoyed oh, it fun. for him yeah. i enjoyed it for bond because you knew where he was going with this and even though they did that whole thing where it's the 60s and they had to explain like you switched them didn't you and or you know whatever the exact line was but you know I, I still found that enjoyable but then you know as the movie progressed like with the you know the, the laser scene and then um, yeah. you know, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. And then, you know, again, this like crazy over the top, you know, plan at the end. I mean, it's the second movie I actually I watched this week where an over the top kind of goofy villain like looks to increase his wealth by causing a catastrophe using a nuke. Um, because I watched the the first Christopher Reeve Superman this week. Um a la Lex Luthor. But yeah, I mean I, I enjoyed him a lot again by the end, you know, with again the crazy plan just like it was it was so over the top but it really did it for me and then 
odd job. Oh my goodness. Like when, when he threw his hat and beheaded that sculpture for the first time, like I, I actually like exclaimed. I loved it. Like again, very, very, I guess like sixties for lack of a better word, like so over the top, so unbelievably impractical, but like, I loved it. It, it a hundred percent worked for me. I think like Scott said, if we have a, Bond villains, Bond villains ranking at the end of this, you know, he's he's gonna be up there for me. Well, I, I think the notion about Bond villains is that like, if if they're going to be serious, they have to be that sort of like first type of interesting that I was talking about. But if they're gonna be goofy, then just like have them be goofy, right? And these are yeah. and these are goofy and, guys. And I'm all for a little bit of goofiness in these yeah. movies because I just think you know it's hard it's hard to make a grounded spy movie that is also interesting. Um, I would rather, you know, just show us some spectacular stuff again, like we get the Mission Impossible movies. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the concept of this, right? Like um, Goldfinger being this like billionaire who just walks around with this henchman that he refers to only as odd job. And nobody and everyone's just like, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's totally normal. Nothing weird going on here at all. He just has a you know, small Asian man who follows him around and throws his hat. Uh, well, and he calls a large him Asian man who follows him around. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he's built. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, just the concept of that, it, it's hard to get past that. But yeah, no, I think these are these are fun villains. Like I said, I, I like the sort of megalomaniacal, um, you know, feel of Goldfinger and him like being very braggadocious, like, oh, we're going to have to do the greatest heist of all time, right? Like, I'm going to be the the trailblazer who, you know, in the world of crime or whatever, you know, that one sort of rant he has at that one point um, about how he wants to be sort of the the pioneer and commit this like, you know, crime that people talk about for for ages, whatever. Um, and, you know, obviously he picks an interesting, uh, you know, target to do that with, you know, Fort Knox. Um, so I think uh, he feels like, you know, a, a good villain. Of course, it gets the iconic line. Um, again, there's a lot of iconic stuff in this movie, but um, the, you know, no, Mr. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die is one of the uh, good most famous lines in the James Bond franchise. So, um, yeah, and I, I think Gert Fro, uh plays the character well. Yeah, odd job, you know, he is what he is. Um, but like I said, <laughs> like I said, I'm fine with a little goofiness um in these movies i think if if bond gets all of these you know creative gadgets and stuff to use it's only fair right if the villains if they're going to really pose a challenge to him whatsoever if they are if they also have some sort of uh goofy tools of their own like odd jobs hat for example so and his ability um, to crush a golf ball yes <laughs> um that, that Bond's golf swing was not convincing, I must say. He 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 uh, put the the club way too far behind his head when he went back. But uh, that was that was kind of funny. The golf scene, just you know, again that yeah. the editing of like somebody you could just almost see somebody just throwing the ball on uh, you know onto the green from off screen so that they could get you know the shot of where the ball landed. Um, but yeah, no, uh, that was that's still a fun, uh, you know an entertaining scene, right? Like you know not necessarily something you'd expect to see. Um, but, you know, a, a, a sort of forecasting of the battle to come, uh, you know, sort of the battle of wits to come between Bond and Goldfinger um, that we get in the rest of the movie. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Um, some other elements of the Bond formula. Um, so, you know, we talked about sort of what the Bond formula is last time. 
you know, here we have the opening action sequence, right? This time it, it is Bond who was involved in it. Um, it's sort of this busting, this, this drug bust, busting this drug lab in Latin America. It's really only three or four minutes um, at the start of the movie. Um, but, you know, we get that opening set piece. For the first time, really, we get the, so, I mean, we had the opening credits sequence last time, but um, only with the James Bond theme song, right? Here we actually get, um, you know, what we're going to see for the rest of the time, which is a theme song, a, a proper movie-specific theme song um, performed by some artist. In this case, it's Shirley Bassey, right? She's performed three or four of the James Bond theme songs. She has, like, the most of any artist, um, you know, and, and Goldfinger, I think, is considered, again, one of the more famous um, so, you know, James Bond theme songs. And, of course, it's set to this sort of highly stylized um, opening credit sequence, which we will also, you know, come to come to see a lot of um, in the movies to come. Um, we have sort of the gadget seat, you know, we have all the MI6 stuff. It's it's pretty brief in this movie, but we get, you know, a little bit with him, a, you know, sort of one scene with him and Moneypenny. Q, again, Desmond Llewellyn as Q pops up, gives him some some gadgets. You know, we have the car with the ejector seat and all that now. What did you guys think uh, sort of about, um, you know, the the formula elements here? Did they did they work pretty well? Are you, you know, getting used to them? Is Do you think they'll get redundant over time? Or, um, you know, can you see them being reinvented a little bit each time? I mean, I, I, I think they worked this time. And I could definitely see them, you know, being tweaked going forward. I mean, I think we, we even saw, you know, some tweaks between the last movie and this movie. Again, you know, they're they're like we've said, it has to just be like some level of suspension of disbelief, right? Like that opening scene wasn't pretty exciting, but like there were so many moments, but like he should have gotten caught. And then like the fact that he saw his assassin coming in like the eyes of the woman he was with, like my goodness. But you know, you, you just suspend a little bit and, you know, I think you have fun with it. And I think, you know, I, I again, I think the action sequences like were a little bit more memorable this time. I think they were just better all in all. Again, I found, you know, the last one's a little bit boring. I joked about how the shooting from the hip, you know, looked kind of silly. Um, you know, obviously the, the, I guess not the finale, I guess the finale was the scene on the plane. Um, but the, the scene at Fort Knox, you know, was, uh, quite fun. The scene on the plane again, was just kind of silly. Um, you know, the fact that he, uh, that Goldfinger oh you know, kind of like squeezed through that window out, like, you know, was, a lot but it was fine you know by that point i'd kind of just decided that i had enjoyed this movie and you know that the fort knox piece you know had brought it home um this is all to say you know i don't i don't necessarily see the formula getting boring yet i mean you know we granted there are so many bond movies we're not even watching you know half of them but you know it uh it certainly hasn't gotten boring yet yeah i, I, I said it last week and i said it last week the, the formula is the formula for a reason and that's because for the most part it works and I, and I think it does work here as well and again to what to Jay's point here I think it's all about making sure it stays just fresh enough where it doesn't get boring right and I think with this particular form like adding in sort of the credit song which is something that like Scott mentioned we're going to get every single time from now on like it's pretty awesome when the first time you come across this sort of like stylized credit song and, and, and credit sequence at, at the start it's a banger right like this song is really good i think it sets a great uh, sort of or it creates a good sort of musical theme that you hear throughout the film and it's and it is it's really good it, uh, and so adding adding that element to the formula really like really works i think that 
sort of the opening scene again being a sort of action sequence, even if it is a bit silly with the seeing him in the eyes and then electrocuting him. You know, it, it, it does work. And I, I one of the things that I do like about the action scenes, and this is that I guess this is like the nicer way of saying that that they're, that they're all the same. But it's really funny how like early action sequences sort of um, or early moments sort of foreshadow what actually comes later on when, you know, in the opening scene, he electrocutes the guy in the bathtub with the fan or whatever it is that he hits into the into the bathtub right before he gets shot. And then later on, he he kills odd job by electrocuting him. <laughs> and then on the plane the first time, he's like, you're not going to want to fire that because, you know, <laughs> it will get sucked out and we'll all be in space. Um, that's what happens at the end of the movie. And Chekhov's guns all over the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think that you could say in some instances, like, oh, that's just like really boring that they use like the same trick twice. But to me, like, I think that's fun, right? You can look back and be like, oh, yeah, I did this. Like, this is something that he had in his mind because, you know, he'd already talked about it um earlier on he'd already done it early on and and it's so like the peach, peaches and parasite right like i mean even <laughs> wow, really great, about parasite on this even, episode even really great movies no that's what that's my point though even really yeah. great movies use these sort of you know plot devices yeah. it's not necessarily a knock on the movie just because they did you know the Chekhov's gun thing that's done oh i didn't think it, no i didn't think you meant it as a knock at all yeah, no, I, and i didn't think you did either i was just saying that making that point yeah, I, I just I just think that that those moments work really well for the formula and, and it being recursive to an extent, um, but not so much so that it feels boring. So I think the action sequences, I agree with Jay, like they felt fresh, they felt um, good and they felt different from From Russia with Love, right? Like, obviously, it's not your over the top sort of set pieces like you would think in like an event in like a Marvel movie these days. But that's not what this kind of movie is, of course. And so the set pieces that they do set up things that are more heist, you know, more heisty or or um, espionage flavored type sequences or set pieces, you know, it matches the tone of the film. It works really well. And even if Louisville is not a sexy, you know, exotic location, <laughs> um, Fort Knox is certainly an interesting one to, to set to sort of set as a backdrop for, you know, a, a double cross and a heist. Like, it's very interesting. It's also just like the cliche, right? Like all the golden Fort Knox, right? Is a sort of saying that you hear um, from yeah. time to time. So, it, you know, this movie posits, so what if we literally, uh, you know, tried to irradiate all of the gold in Fort Knox, basically. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think the, the formula is fine here. Like the opening sequence, again, I feel like we're still getting warmed up when it comes to these opening, uh, you know, set pieces yeah. in terms of what we're going to see, because we're going to see some better, just a lot better, I think. Yeah. Um, we might and, even say the best for last, who knows? And, um, you know, and then the song as well. Like, the song is good. I, I mean, I like the song. The horns work really well. I like when they, you know, come up again uh, throughout the yeah. movie, that that motif. Uh, but, you know, again, I think the next two movies, actually, that we're going to watch, Live and Let Die and The Spy Who Loved Me, have my two favorite, probably, Bond theme songs to them. So um, I think even better is yet to come uh, in terms of the theme songs as well. But it's nice to, you know, get all of these elements established. Um, so we can kind of compare them to each other as we move through the movies. Um, and yeah, the gadgets, it's always satisfying. E even when you know, um, even when you know what, that they're going to come up, right? Like they wouldn't be bringing this up unless it was going to come up. Um, they do a good job of creating things that like uh, still look cool, right? Like it's still fun to watch the guy get thrown out of the ejector seat, yeah. um, even and, though you know that it's coming. Like, and it's so bold too that like, you have this gadget, like to have all these gadgets and then like actually have a really important one, just like not work 
at all, right? Yeah. Like with the tracker, him like putting it into the pocket of the mafioso mm-hmm. who's going, who, who's like obviously Getting about to go car, get, yeah. yeah, about to get killed. And then like just like blatantly not have that work. Like that, that's, that's a tweak on the formula that I think is, is really interesting. It makes you, it keeps you fr- again, like fresh or like mentally flexible as like, okay, he has all these gadgets, but now we know that they're not always going to work. Right. And so I think that's also a nice twist. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. Um, yep. Even if we, you know, we will see better examples to come, like I said, uh, action sequences, we've talked about a few of them. Um, which ones stood out for you guys? Um, the, you know, it, there's pretty w- much wall to wall action here. Um, for, you know, large stretches of the movie, which is not something that we necessarily had with, um, from Russia with love, but what uh what sticks out in in your guys memory i mean i think obviously the fort knox the final sequence is probably the standout but are there others uh scott yeah fort Fort knox is definitely a standout i think that for me just sort of like the holistic nature of that and sort of if you you just sort of tie together the whole sequence of you know you start with the with the airplanes flying over and then you go into the invasion the highest element and then like the actual action that that sort of ensues at the end when you know the double cross happens and and whatnot like that definitely is the holistic um scene for me and it gives you sort of this showdown that is like like when you have a character like odd job and a character like bond together like eventually it's going to come down to some sort of like hand-to-hand combat type thing where bond has to be wily and like figure out a way to subdue someone who's like physically far superior to him and so i I liked sort of the well-rounded nature of that sort of climactic set piece at Fort Knox, Fort Knox for sure. And then if I had to pick another one, I think it, it would be sort of the opening scene. Maybe I'm a bigger fan of it than the two of you. I don't want to put words in your mouth if I'm wrong there. But um, I, I also think that that was a good way to start the movie, uh, having sort of a, a more straight laced sort of spy, you know, sneaking into the fe- into the facility, planting a bomb, getting out. It was short and sweet and gave you the flavor of, sort of espionage spy bond that you want to sort of get you off on the right foot for a film like this. Yeah. I think Scott took mine. Um, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I already talked about Fort Knox, you know, being a great piece, like again, down to the, the final, you know, hand to hand combat. I mean, it's not like they were going to have a converse, a conversation about the ship of Theseus or anything. And then, you know, the opening scene, again, I, I mentioned, you know, you have to suspend disbelief, but you know, fun nonetheless. Um, I guess I'll just give a quick shout out to after Bond escapes from the prison by kind of playing like peekaboo with that guard the first time uh, when it cuts back to him the second time. And there's like, I think I counted six guards in there. Yeah, that, just that was funny. I, yeah. I found that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. It was very over the top, but you know exactly what you'd expect and you know fun in that regard. Yeah. The, uh, the, the car, like the car chase sequence that happens sort of in the factory refinery is, yeah. Kind of has some like funny moments, like oh my god, yeah. When, when those guys just like line up in front of the car, and it's just like the, the almost like cartoonish like video game, like he's just like mowing them down almost. It feels like he's just like swerving into them, trying to hit all of them. And <laughs> yeah. then we have to talk about the real villain of this, the real yeah. most interesting absolutely yes. who's not explored for some reason. Who was that old lady who was just living in the gatehouse? It seemed like there, with the MP40, and, and, and yeah, just comes out with a machine gun. Never doesn't have a single line in the movie we don't know who she is like just shows i don't think she got killed that she should just i don't think so i don't think like so, yeah. total random white woman too in this like whole facility full of 
I don't yeah. know. If the, I don't know if the ethnicity is like explicitly stated, but not white people. Yeah, it was it was very bizarre. And again, like an example of like the stern woman villain that they just didn't do anything with. Uh, that would have could have been uh, but, kind of interesting to see her as like a you know also a, a right hand person of Goldfinger. But it's it's such an it, especially funny story when you juxtapose it like right next to the scene that you just talked about before that, where he's like swerving to hit everyone, and he yeah. like goes out of his way to not hit this person. Yeah, who has the machine gun? I'm just like, wow, what a weird. I mean, like I guess he just can't do it. Can't bring Hitting himself a to woman, kill the old. Yeah, it's a bridge too far unless it's you know one of his girlfriends. And uh, well, we won't get into that. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, I uh, I think that that was kind of a funny, but it's almost funnier. Uh, totally that they don't explain you know who she is. Uh, it, she just pops up and then goes away. Um, but yeah, I think I'm with you guys for the most part. The other, I mean, in the very ending, like I think the the plane explosion is pretty well done. I mean, we talked. I think we talked last week about how the uh, explosions and stuff look pretty decent for their era. I think the same is true here of the, you know, when the plane crashes at the end um, and they're parachuting away. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, that works fairly well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot about that Fort Knox sequence and, you know, I'm fine with that because I think they pull it off pretty well. Um, that $3 million budget. Yeah. Uh, okay. Plot. I mean, look, I, I do think it's probably a little bit easier to follow than from Russia. I mean, like, look, we, we've talked about it already. The end of the movie, right, he is trying to blow up all the gold in Fort Knox, basically, so that the price of his gold will go up, right, and he'll become rich. I don't know, if, but it feels like, like, that is, like, five minutes of plot stretched out over, you know, uh, 120 minutes or whatever this movie is. Like, I feel like there's more to it than that that... Um, was probably not necessary or again, just, just not that interesting. I, I keep saying that it's like hard to follow. I think it's hard to follow, maybe not necessarily because it's like complex, but just cause it's like not super interesting, right? Like there's not, um, you know, a lot to hook you there, like to, to command your attention so that you like want to, um, un try to understand the plot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's like the 10 second summary of, what I take away from the plot of this movie is that Goldfinger is rich and he wants to be even richer. So he's going to blow up all the gold in Fort Knox so that, um, you know, his gold increases in value. Anything else you guys want to, you know, add on here about the plot? Uh, if you think it was more successful, more effective than in From Russia With Love or, you know, same sort of mixed bag. Well, it's funny because I feel like from Russia with love and we talked about, you know, the confusing acronyms and the ambiguous what we're going after, like the lecture. And for me, like, again, once the plot was explained, I was like, great, like, let's let's just go completely over the top. And like, you know, I, I'm I'm going to steer into this kid with it. But now that you mentioned it, like I de it definitely took like a minute to get off the ground for me, too, because like, you know, as Bond's trying to like figure it out and, you know, he's like snooping on Goldfinger and finding out how he like you know, moves his gold and then, you know, is trying to like figure out what Operation Grand Slam is. Like it actually didn't hook me all that much um, <clears throat> as the movie was going on, just because again, like it didn't, I don't know, it, it didn't seem like it was going to be anything that spectacular. Like it seemed like it might just be, my, my one of my early theories was like, he's using his Rolls Royce to uh, move his gold. Like maybe this is about like his plane is going to be gold and it's so much more gold or something. I don't know. I was thinking it'd be something ridiculous like that but like once it became clear like what it was like the fort knox break-in and whatnot like that 
then I was hooked. It definitely just took like a while to get me there um, because I, I thought, you know, like what it's just going to be like a gold smuggling story. Um, it ended up being a lot more ludicrous and exciting than that. Yeah, that's an interesting point because even though I hadn't seen Goldfinger, like I know, like I know about the heist at Fort Knox, so I knew that we were building towards that. And so that that is an interesting point, though. If you if you don't know about that going in, then is it you know is it harder to look forward to that or, or however you want to phrase it? I think that's an interesting point. For me, I you know I was I was sort of engaged with this from start to finish. I felt like it had a good balance of different types of you know I guess like moments. I guess is the right way to put it. Like it has sort of the the Miami beach with like the card, the card game, even if that is ultimately a little, a little silly. And then, then it moves to sort of this sort of, you know, tracking espionage type thing through Switzerland. And then it, he's captured, he has to escape and it has the set piece Fort Knox. And I found that this, I, I do agree with what you're saying, Scott, that it does feel it stretches out a little bit of, a little bit of the story, maybe more so than it needed to be in terms of how light the plot is. But from scene to scene, like I didn't really feel like, I was bored in the different moments. And that isn't necessarily to do with the plot being super interesting or super engaging, but easy enough to follow and tying into the specific moments that I was watching, you know, again, with the knowledge of what was to come later on in the movie, where it was easy for me to sort of be invested in, in each moment, as opposed to our for Meshwell with love, where I'm like, I don't really understand what's going on here. I don't know why it even matters that much. And it feels very, all right, he came to this scene, so the plot can move forward in this slightly, if not at all, related way. Um, and it pushes the game forward. Whereas with these, it, it does feel like there's a purpose um, for at least like the the higher level moments that are happening. Right. And so I did feel like it, it moved a little bit quicker along for me in that way, because I think I was invested and engaged. I mean, this film is also 10 minutes shorter than From Russia with Love. And I think you can, you can really feel that like From Russia with Love could have really used being 10 minutes shorter. Um, and I think that this one benefits from its slightly slimmer runtime overall. And it, and it just moves along and, you know, maybe he spends a, like a little bit too much time in captivity at, at Goldfinger's like stud farm. But overall, I, I think it, it does move along at a pretty good pace and is interesting. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If there's one section that kind of lags, it's like in between when we find out, you know, what the plan is, right, about Fort yeah. Knox. And when we actually get to it, it feels like there's just like 10, 15 minutes maybe of just like, you know, he's sitting on the porch with pussy galore and he's like, oh, go dress up and all. The, it's you know, the car that, stuff, that, right? Like, that's what it, that's what it's. Yeah, that, that kind of segment is a little. Yeah. But every I mean, look, there, you, you're, you'll scarcely find, uh, you know, movies out there and action movies in particular, I think, that don't have like, you know, a, a, little a, a 10 to 15 minute stretches where it slows down a little bit um, there. You know, not a lot of action movies that just keep the pedal to the metal the whole time for understandable reasons, I guess. Uh, but definitely, you know, more successful, I think, on the whole than um, from Rush with Love at keeping me engaged, uh, you know, from start to finish. Uh, OK, uh, anything else you guys want to add before we uh, wrap up? Can't think I, of anything. Oh, OK. Uh, favorite scene or moment from Goldfinger? Uh I just want to shout out mine real quick because I always have to go last and it gets vultured. This is just like, I, I love this moment at the end though, but the way that the Fort Knox scene like wraps itself up. Of course we have like the classic bomb counter 
you, the countdown going on of like, you know, we've seen it in a jillion movies and TV shows before where like he's going to have to defuse the bomb. The counter is getting down. It's 10 seconds whatsoever. And then the guy just like walks in, the like engineer or whatever, just walks in and turns it off with like seven seconds left. Um, and it, while Bond is like freaking out, like, oh, man, what about what wires am I supposed to cut? I don't know. It felt like a nice sort of like riff on again on that familiar trope of like seeing the bomb count down and, uh, you know, him having to guess the wire and getting it right with one second left or whatever. That was a nice, um, that was a nice, uh, you know, twist on that. Although it was kind of weird because then Bond is like, oh, three ticks more. And, you know, we would have been toasters. And I'm like, well, no, there were seven seconds left. Why, what do you mean three three ticks? I, I don't know. It just feels like they should. Also, that, that whole bomb counter in general, like, I don't know what speed it was going. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was just not... seconds. <laughs> That, but that's again. That's how they all are, right? Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. No. That, no. 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 Sorry. I'm. I'm gonna make a plug here. Okay. For Archer season one. There's an episode <laughs> where they're on a blimp, um, that's going to be blown up, and that timer is actually completely accurate. Just. I'm just plugging that. Yeah. Okay. So it's well, probably it, like really inappropriate now, but you know. Yeah. In general, it's it like right. when you when you see these things come up, it's like the last five seconds are actually like twenty seconds of real time. It feels like, but um, yeah. anyway, it, it, it was this, this film was not in real time. I'll say that much. It was not. That this is true. <laughs> it, it was. Uh, it was a fun little twist on that. Like I said, uh, Jay, your favorite scene or moment from Goldberg. My, my apologies, guys. I just look for any chance to get H. John Benjamin to find out who I am. Um, <laughs> My favorite scene, it has to be when Oddball beheads the sculpture. Again, that was just... Odd job, the, yeah. Or odd, what did I he say? He is an Oddball, but his oh, name is Oddball. Oh, sorry. Um, when he beheads the, the sculpture, again, I, I actually, like, exclaimed. Um, it was it was ridiculous. It was so funny. Like, I don't know. It, something about it just, was, just really worked for me. No, I'm not trying to make you feel dumb. I'm just curious. When he takes his hat off and is about to throw it, what did you expect to happen? I'm just curious. Well, like, I, I basically, in my head, it was like, oh, my God, no, he's going to do it. And then he did it. And it was <laughs> so, like, that is what I expected. But it was yeah. still just, like, you didn't know until, you know, right before it was going to happen. Yeah, totally. Um, and then when he takes the hat off, you're like, he's going to do it. And, like, sure enough, like, yeah, I don't know. It, it worked for me. Sue me. Uh, okay, Scott, your favorite scene or moment? Yeah, I, you know, as much as much as I do like sort of the the golf sequence of it all, because it just feels again, it feels like nice flavor mixed in with a lot of your more traditional elements. Um, and I do like it when Odd Job crushes the crushes the ball in his hand and just like pours it out the side of the car. Um, I, I I will go with the with the Fort Knox scene just because it really feels like for the first time in, in the countdown we're getting this sort of really grand set piece, um, which is ultimately what I want. And sort of, I think, what defines a lot of the best um, spy movies, right? Like having these sort of big espionage set pieces. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, Mission Impossible films have always been so close to my heart because they all, each of them, to varying levels of success um, and great success, uh, have these sort of big set piece things. And so as much as we can get those worked into this type of movie or the Bond franchise, I think the more success there is as well. So I will go with um, sort of the broad, broadly speaking, the Fort Knox heist. Jay, you're, let's put a score on it. Uh, what do you give uh, Goldfinger out of 10? Yeah, I mean, it was fun. Um, it was a lot of fun. You know, fun out of 10. There huh? you go. Dude, it's what fun out of 10 right there. Fun out of 10. <laughs> Come now. It's just prefacing it a little bit. Um, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, I if the other Bond movies are like close to this, you know, I'll, I'll have a much better time than I thought I would have after From Russia With Love, um, 8.2. Scott? 7.7. 7. 
8.0. I, I did enjoy it. Um, and like I said, will probably be one of my favorites when all is said and done. But who knows? Maybe we'll be surprised by our next era of Bond because we will be moving on now to uh, the films of Roger Moore, who, of course, has played Bond, I believe, the most times or tied for the most times. Right? It depends on whether you count that one uh, non-produced one yeah. right the one that connery did never say never again um while the more films were going on but anyway we will be moving into the roger moore era which i think is a very different era for bond we we won't necessarily based on the two selections that we you know we got or that were that you know we're going to be watching we won't necessarily get i think the full taste of you know some of the uh what more has to offer, but I think that's probably for the better, right? Because I think um, the last two movies in particular, Octopussy and A View to a Kill, are ones that uh, people say, think just descend into high comedy um, and, you know, just at the point where it becomes a farce, basically. But we're not going to be watching those. Um, we will be watching uh, Live and Let Die, uh, which is Morris' first outing as Bond. Uh, so, you know, I will looking forward to that. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode, however. If you have and you'd like to support us, uh, please uh, don't forget about our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pods. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. Check out our other series as well. Some Like It Scott is trucking along every week. We will definitely be back for this series next week, uh, in which, like I said, we will be talking about Roger Moore's first outing as Bond, Live and Let Die. Until then... For Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time.